Hey yo, welcome back to Letting It All Hang Out. It's your girl, Haley Kalani. And in case you forgot, I created this podcast to bring together a community of skilled, badass individuals that make me smile and love to have a good time. And today's fabulous guest is Krista Samimi. Not only is she a hardworking mom, but every day she's moving towards her continued mission in helping high performers feel better from the inside out. And she does this by elevating their mental wellness via the gut-brain axis. So without further ado, let's get into this episode and let's get rolling. Uh, Thank you so much for being here, Krista. I'm super excited to talk to you. And one thing that stood out to me was like, you you spent 72 days in like a psych ward. And so I'll let you sort of explain the rest and tell your story and explain how you got here and what inspired you to do what you do today. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I was in the corporate world for a number of years and um, mostly in pharmaceutical sales for about 10 years, you know, and I was always chasing the next promotion, the next award. And that like literally just led me to burnout because I felt empty on the inside. Like, of course, my bank account was looking stellar, but I was like, am I just being ungrateful? Like what's, what's going on? But I, it literally led to burnout because I was traveling so much. I wasn't taking really good care of my mental health. And Literally, it got to a point where I just had like a mental breakdown. I was actually diagnosed with bipolar back in 2001. And then um, during this time of burnout in corporate, I literally, like I said, had this breakdown. And that led to my parents taking me to a psych hospital because I had extreme mania, which for me is like losing touch with reality, like literally believing that the... FBI, the CIA, people are after me. So my parents took me there and what turned out to be, you know, I thought a simple inpatient visit was 72 days. And that was the whole summer that year. And that was then proceeded after I left there. I went to like a halfway house to like learn how to reintegrate back into the regular world. So I spent a good part of a year and a half on long-term disability, just trying to um, get healthy again and ended up going back to like another job, but this time less intense, just something that was less stressful. And still I was just on my mission, like searching for something meaningful. I really wanted to help people in some meaningful way. I just never could figure it out or find that that perfect job that I love, that I was passionate about, that I would like jump out of bed in the morning to um, go do. And then in 2015, I did find something in sort of the personal development space. But at the same time, I started tinkering with my medications again, thinking that I could go on these holistic supplements, these amino acids that I learned about from a holistic psychiatrist. Well, all was well until it wasn't. I tried that and I tried going off my medications and then boom, mania hit again, called the cops on myself in my manic episode and back to the psych hospital again for 
30 days. So this time I was like really discouraged. I was like, I guess I'll just have to stick to a J-O-B. There's like, what am I going to do? Like just do the regular thing that everybody does and stop tinkering and trying to find something unusual or I don't know, not unusual. That's not like the right word, but something meaningful. And so literally I, I did, you know, I worked in assisted living for seniors and I, I enjoyed that, but I was punching a clock and reporting to somebody and I just, it was awful. (laughs) And so I literally, a year ago, about the same time last year, I was feeling like a burnt out mom. Like I I had a two-year-old, now he's three, but at the time he was two and I was exhausted and low energy. I was having anxiety. I was having depression. I was frustrated because I'm taking medication, but I'm still having these symptoms And I really didn't want to tell my psychiatrist that I was having these symptoms because he would put me on another medication. But lo and behold, like timing is everything and things happen for a reason. And I was introduced to the science of the gut-brain access. And the gut-brain access can literally help things like depression, anxiety, low energy, digestive issues, trouble sleeping. And I was really intrigued and I knew this time I wasn't going to go off my medications, but I was going to explore these holistic supplements. So I did. And that's sort of when the game started to change and my, literally my life began to change. Like I had such a profound experience on these holistic supplements that work on the gut and they just work at the root cause level. And so I was really, really intrigued after my experience of like less anxiety, I could handle stress better. It was very simple to take. And so I got really interested in the company that made the holistic supplements. And literally in February of 2000, or this year, I should say, I I partnered with the company making the supplements called Amari Global and started my mental wellness business. So (laughs) sort of a long answer to your question, but that's really how I, you know, I got connected to these supplements and started my my business with Amare. And right now I have um, six wellness partners who I lead on my team. And we're basically all on this same mission called the mental wellness revolution. And I've, I've never seen anything like it. And I really enjoy it because I'm growing a team, I'm coaching and mentoring others, and I'm helping people with their mental health, like in a meaningful and impactful way. So it's kind of like, what I've been praying for, for like the longest time. And now, you know, that's what I I get to do every day. Yeah. Wow. First, well, first of all, thank you for sharing that story and opening up about it. And for a lot of people, it takes a lot of strength to do that, a lot of courage to share their history with that. Your story speaks to me a lot because my family has a history with mental health issues and my dad has bipolar. And so that that definitely connects with me. And you mentioned something that I thought was so interesting because you came from the pharmaceutical industry and then you sort of over a wild series of events, you're like, these medications aren't working or they're not making me feel better or, you know, they're making me feel worse in a way. And now you, then you've sort of found this, uh, happy medium or access between these more holistic supplements and this gut brain alignment has being in the pharmaceutical industry for that period of years has that shaped your view on what you do now or like what what do you think of all this now since yeah i know yeah i mean i was i was so skeptical 
of holistic. Cause like I said, I had tried these amino acids before they didn't work. And so I was kind of like, Oh, okay. You know, I'd been in the pharma world for so long and, you know, my mind was filled with like, okay, take medication, take medication. They're clinical studies, right? So I, like I said, I was skeptical to take these holistic supplements, but I was feeling so bad. I mean, like bad to the point where like I was having thoughts that Jacob would be better off without a mom than me as his mom. The one laying on the couch, can't get off the couch. Like this was horrible, right? So um, that's why I decided to give these supplements a try. And they do have clinical data behind them. They're backed by science. They're just not some you know, we were always told like in pharmaceutical sales, you never know where supplements are made and they're not approved by the FDA. And so I'm like torn, but I'm, I mean, I know that everybody is different. Like I'm not one that just goes out and preach, like everybody takes supplements, right? Because everybody is so different. Our biochemistry is so different. So what works for me is a balance between Western medicine and Eastern medicine but then there's some people that do really great on medicine and some people that just do great on the supplement. So I'm, I'm all about everybody, you know, looking at everybody's body is different. Yeah, that's so true. And I think it's such an important piece to this whole puzzle is like, first of all, each one of us is so individually different and how our bodies process and all that stuff is, is very unique, especially when you pair that with somebody who might be going through um, mental health troubles. And every single person who's going through some sort of mental health trouble is also their experience is so unique. So it's like, trial and error of figuring out what's going to work, what's not. And I think that as far as from what I see and my experience has been, a lot of people are either on one side, the holistic side, or on the other side, just medicine, like pharmaceutical medicine. And it's like, well, maybe be open to both, seeing what works best for you. Have you dealt with people coming to you and saying, hey, I think you should try this. Hey, I think you should try this. And like, sort of telling you what to do? And then if you have sort of dealt with that, how do you take it with a grain of salt and you know, do what you think is best for you? I don't know if I've had someone like approach me and say, you know, this is what you should do. I mean, I work really closely with my psychiatrist. Um, I've had him for over 10 years. I do have to do a lot of convincing for him, like the supplements. He's like, whatever, like you can take them, but don't stop taking your medication. I don't know. I would never really say this is what you should do because, you know, I'm not a doctor or anything like that. I always try to speak from my like own experience and then just, you know, any clinical data that we have. I mean, if someone did come and tell me, you know, you should do this or you should do that, I would be a little bit leery. Yeah, for sure. That's interesting. And I'm, I mean, I'm glad that that was your experience. Nobody was trying to push anything on you from my parents experience and and some other people that I've spoken with, it seems like the opinions of others are heavily weighed uh, or put onto them. It's like, oh, this was my experience. So you must be going through the same thing. Mm. And I'm, I'm, you know, it comes from a good place. They're just trying to help. But a lot of times it creates all that, a lot of confusion. Taking a little bit of a turn onto gut brain health, because that Mm -hmm. is something that's super interesting to me. I was having a conversation with some other doctor named Ashley, and that's what she was specialized in was sort of the gut health. And we, of course, wound up talking about mental health because it's so correlated. Tell me a little bit more about the gut and why it's so important and why it's connected to our brain and the health of that. 
it's yeah, it's literally actually considered our second brain because our gut actually makes over 90% of the feel good neurotransmitters, things like serotonin and dopamine are actually produced in the gut. So 90%. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that's why it's considered the second brain. So things like the foods we eat, like if we eat a lot of processed foods, that's going to damage our gut and how effectively it's producing serotonin and dopamine. Just things like stress from the environment can impact our gut. If we've taken a lot of antibiotics in the past, all of those things can really disrupt what's called the microbiome. So that's like our bacteria and everything in our gut. And our gut is, you know, everything from the stomach, intestines, but it's also like the gallbladder, the liver. So really like taking good care of our, of our gut health is going to impact our physical health and how our mental health is. It's, it's really important. It's really fascinating to me because I've always thought, you know, brain disorders are in the brain. But to know that 90% of our feel-good neurotransmitters are actually produced in the gut is a totally different perspective. Yeah, that is a definitely different perspective. And it puts more weight on the importance of treating our gut the right way so that mentally we feel good. And I might add too that like literally most of the communication, it goes from the gut to the brain, not the other way around. So like our gut communicates with our brain via um, physically through the vagus nerve and then also chemically through like neurotransmitters. So like the supplements that I, I take, we have a, you know, I have a product that works in my gut, but I also have a product that works on the access. So it helps my gut communicate better with my brain. Okay. This leads me to so many different like questions and avenues. Okay. This could probably go so many different ways. So definitely the importance of like food, you know, we're, we're intaking something and you know, it's, it's in our gut and then that impacts our brain. I've also read, heard things that, you know, we have gut feelings, right? So that also sends signals to our brain and that can be impacted through the environment around us. So like if we're in an uncomfortable situation or, you know, wherever, whatever, we get those feelings in our gut and then that sort of transmits to our brain. Do you have any input on this? Cause I'm just, I, yeah, no, that you're, you're spot on. Like those feelings, like those bad feelings in your stomach, when you feel like something bad's going to happen or you're afraid, or you like really just messed up on something you get, it's a gut feeling. It's, it's, it's real. Right. But it's the same thing. Like on a positive note, when you're like in love and you feel those butterflies in your stomach, that is your gut, like talking to your whole body. So, and so that I have no idea how the science behind this works, but so does that happen basically through our sensations, like whether we're seeing something, touching something, smelling something, or, or is it more so almost unexplainable in a way of like, it's just happening around us. And because of that, our, our gut is interpreting what's happening. Does that make sense? I know what you're asking, but I don't know if I have a clear answer for that. I know, right? It's, it's kind of a wild concept. Um, <laughs> so, so I don't, I don't blame you or anything. That's interesting too, because I feel like with our gut and brain health and the interconnection behind it, it uh, up until I would say the last maybe five years, at least in my experience, I haven't really heard much about gut health. And for me, I went through a period of years where I had aplastic anemia, which is an autoimmune disorder. And when I was speaking with the gut specialist, Ashley, you know, she was saying trying things to help your gut feel better could have helped your 
body. She, you know, she was like, I'm not promising anything. And same thing to you, but why do you think, because I never heard any of my doctors at that point ever talk about my gut or trying to eat certain things. Why do you think that either now or just in general, like it's becoming more popular for lack of a better word? That's a, that's a very insightful question. So, I mean, the first thing that kind of just comes to mind is that there are a lot of doctors out there that are now focusing on more like holistic health and everything, but I feel like the majority of doctors and medical practices are so focused on disease. They're focused, uh, uh, you know, people come in and they have some sort of gut issue or something here take a Prilosec. That'll help your acid reflux. I feel like majority of doctors, that's what they do. They're treating disease. Whereas I feel like gut health is a totally different angle where you're almost like preventing disease. You're, you're treating it at like a root cause level. You're not, it's not like a band-aid approach. So maybe, maybe more and more people are, you know, learning about gut health. Um, That's interesting because I totally agree with you that, you know, it's coming from the approach of a root cause, like getting it, pulling it out at the root and having more of a pro- preventative mentality, sort of making the correlation of why maybe it's become a little bit more, again, for lack of a better word, popular during this time, is I've also noticed an increase in like mindset, right? The mindfulness, our, our, the way that we look at the world. And because of that, that increase in popularity, it's also sort of, if you tackle your mindset, that's also going to the root of your problems typically. And so maybe because we're tackling that and going to the root of all of these things, that holistic practices, whether it be gut health or mindset, has you know, transferred into this. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, gosh, I mean, I don't know if it's just on LinkedIn or the rest of the world, but you know, a lot of the women on my team are like holistic wellness coaches and um, I have one functional pharmacist. So I, maybe there's just more and more people that are helping patients from a root cause level instead of just constantly just giving a prescription and a bandaid approach. Yeah. For sure. And that, that is actually a perfect segue into what I was thinking about earlier, which is stress and overwhelm, how that can lead to burnout, that, that happened to you, you've dealt with it, and now you help others sort of prevent that, right? So mm-hmm. did, do you take that same sort of root cause preventative approach to the women that you help? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, a lot of the women that have joined my team have been in careers in the past and now they really want something that they're passionate and, you know, excited about and they want meaningful work. So that that's really who I help is like somebody who wants to create their own business and be able to help people with their mental health, like on a, with a holistic level and have all the resources to do that and not feel stressed. You know what I mean? Like we have flexibility, we have time freedom, all of that, you know, so it's not like we're reporting to somebody. So it kind of makes all the difference. For sure. What do you think with, you know, cause, cause you're involved on LinkedIn and we're sort of in this space where entrepreneurs and business people, we're all trying to do a lot of stuff at once and we feel like we can manage it. And most of the time we're pretty good at it. We've got all of these things coming in and, and we have a lot of output, but that can lead to maybe you don't think that you're going to get burned out, but how do we make sure like, what, what are the warning signs essentially of, all right, I'm working a little bit too hard. So maybe I should scale it back. And then there's sort of the second part of my brain going, well, if I'm scaling it back, I'm not 
performing enough or I'm not doing good enough. So like, how do you manage that and make sure that you're, you're sort of riding this thin line if you're in that position and you don't cross over? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's super important because, you know, as entrepreneurs, we could work around the clock if we wanted to, you know, there's always something to work on. But I think it's really important. Something that I do is setting my goals for the week and really focusing on what I call action items or income producing activities. I do my best not to write any more than three or four things that I want to do in a day. If I have some big long list, I'm probably not going to get to it. And then I'm going to feel bad about myself because I only got half of it done. But like, I try to just say, okay, here, these are the top three to four things that I want to accomplish today. And it's kind of that whole thing. I don't know if it's a saying or not, but like, how do you eat a dinosaur? One bite at a time, you know? And if I feel like if I put too much on my plate and I don't get it done, I'm just going to feel horrible. So I try to do bite-sized things and kind of make my days its own sort of container. Like, okay, here's what I'm going to focus on today. And then I know at the end of the day, if I've done that and completed certain things, I will feel like it was a successful day. Mm-hmm. But you don't, you know, I don't like to put too much on each day. Yeah, I think that is such an important thing to make sure that we're taking one bite at a time and taking those baby steps that lead up to the actual completion of what the project that we're trying to do is. One thing that I have noticed too, and and this is another, I don't know if it's because I'm going through it, so I'm like consciously talking about it and then it keeps coming up in conversations, but I find that myself especially, but also a lot of people that I talk to want to get as much done as possible And logically, we know we're supposed to be taking one bite at a time, but we just don't. Like we, if the easiest example I can give is, you know, you're looking at somebody who is like, you're starting at A and you're looking at somebody who's at Z already. You know, we'll take fitness, for example. So they've already got like a six pack beach bob, whatever, and you just aren't there yet. And so you're like, all right, I'm going to go to the gym four times a week for an hour and I'm going to go hard. And then we do it for a week and then it destroys our body because <laughs> we've been out of shape and then going back into it for so long is sometimes detrimental, but we so badly just want to skip B, C, D, E and just get all the way to Z. So why, one sort of two-part question, like, why do you think we do that? And then how can we remind ourselves that it's okay to continue taking those baby steps and we will eventually get to Z and it doesn't necessarily matter how or when, just knowing that we will get there. Yeah. Well, the first thing that comes to mind really too is it's very easy to do this on social media, but to like compare yourself to somebody else and where they're at in their journey. And I'm totally guilty of it. Right. But it's, it's never a good idea because you don't know where that person has been and what extra skills they've attained along the way. And it's just really not good to compare ourselves to others. But what something that's really important and vital to us being like continuing like as entrepreneurs, like to keep going and to keep having that motivation for me, it's all about like celebrating everything. Like if we wait and to celebrate until we have like, you know, X, Y, Z number of clients, or we wait until we get the big project complete or whatever. But I've, I've always learned, especially in, um, with our leadership at Amare is to like celebrate every day, eat all the small wins. Okay. You just got off a zoom with somebody and this is what you learn. Celebrate, do a dance, treat yourself to, you know, sushi is what I treat myself to, (laughs) 
but we have to be like celebrating along the way because if we don't, we'll burn out really fast. Yeah, I love that too, because celebrating the really small things, I think is absolutely crucial. And, and it goes back to sort of the idea of the notion that like, I'll be happy when blank, or, you know, I'll be successful when blank. And we forget to look at how far we've already come from wherever we started and celebrating those small wins too often. So this sort of goes back to like a little bit of neuroscience, which is if you celebrate that small win, you're going to release a little bit of dopamine. So it's going to help you take that next step, that next baby step and be like, oh yeah, I really am doing this. I really can do this. Pushing forward little by little until those little moments become a little bit bigger. And then just like strengthening a muscle when you go to the gym, it's easier and easier and easier until you get to take that, you know, you go up a weight and then you're back, you know, it's harder again, but then it gets easier and easier and easier. Definitely. I always say stay in your own lane. You know, everybody is doing their thing. It's just just be focused on your lane and what's up ahead. Yeah. The idea of comparison versus competition, healthy competition, I should Mm -hmm. say. And social media definitely aids in that comparison aspect of it. I think it's okay to be competitive with yourself to an extent, right? Like we want to be better than we were before and we want to outperform ourselves and seeing other people who are doing really good and are healthy rivals in a sense saying like oh yeah they're 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 highlighting some of my weaknesses so maybe i can learn more be better do better in those areas but looking at rivals as comparison of like oh i could never be that or i could never do that or you know there's that again that thin line that we're usually right on yes. and what how do we make sure that like oh i'm a little bit too far on the comparison side not on the competition of i want to get better i'm going to train to get better yeah well i mean it's really just you know we are sort of our own superpower because you know nobody is us so there's really no reason to compare everyone's had their own unique experience they're on their own journey And I think the most important thing is to stay focused on your vision, your mission, and the goals you want to achieve. We do have healthy competition at Amari Global. You know, we have um, different contests that they run and stuff like that. And that's completely fine, you know, but we should never be like comparing somebody's content like, oh gosh, they're such a good writer. I wish I could write like that. Things like that, that I've been guilty of, but it's, it's, it's not good. I always say compare equals despair. Ooh, I like that. Compare equals despair. Yeah, it's so easy to fall into that that trap and it never really leads into anything good. And it's so easy for us to do it because I think whether, I mean, I don't think it was designed for this, but it, social media has wound up aiding in that process. And so like when it comes to, because you help women specifically, is that right? I do specifically help women. I'm happy to um, help men as well, but I just, they haven't joined yet. <laughs> right, right. Do you find that, because in my opinion, I think the comparison aspect for women might be a little bit higher or at least more frequent, uh, if mm. that makes sense, because we're constantly being compared either in society to a lot of other things. Does that oftentimes leak into work and us comparing ourselves to other women in the workplace and then that sort of leads to less productivity or more stress or more overwhelm or all of these things? Yeah, I mean I feel like comparing is getting in your mindset and it's it can in you know impact productivity because you're 
in your mind, you're thinking, oh, I know I can do it better this way or that way. And it's not really coming from your true self. You know what I mean? Like you're trying to be like, let's say you see somebody post something. Oh, I want to post something like that. But it's not really coming from you. You got the idea from somewhere else. So I, I think it does impact productivity a bit, you know, comparing yourself to somebody else. Yeah. And it goes back to what you were saying before about how we are uniquely us. Like there is nobody else on planet earth that will ever be, uh, ever has been or ever will be. Yes. And you are your superpower. And I love that because I think it's so true and it gives us such an empowering sense. And it makes us feel special because we are special. Just like you said, super unique. You're so rare. There's nothing else like you that makes you special. And I think it's a constant practice too, right? Because like we, we know all of these things or we can learn all of these things, but our brain is so persistent that all of the stuff we've been taught since the day that we were born has taught us either the opposite or we've had experiences where we've felt the opposite and Mm -hmm. it is conflicting because we get put into positions that were you know maybe not we're not thinking of it consciously but are replaying some bad experiences from our past and are bringing up those insecurities they're bringing up the things that we feel are negative in this uh, experience, but it's not necessarily the experience that's negative. It's the way that we think about the experience that's negative and translating that to stress, overwhelm, burnout, mental health, even it's sort of, if you can catch it before it gets too bad, then you're, you're on the right track and you can sort of turn it around slowly, but surely. Yeah, 100%. I mean, our mindset, it's something that, you know, I'm working on nearly every day because things like if we think we can or think we can't, we're right. And what we feed our mind every day and, you know, we live in a world that can be a little negative at times. And so it's so important to take good care of your mind, whether that's like meditation, reading personal development books, listening to podcasts, like constantly. It's something that I definitely work on. That wasn't really something I was focused on when I was in corporate America because it was more like just like tasks and doing things and showing up and, you know, it was never really a focus. But now it's like, that's, that's what I do. Like I have to keep giving myself or growing myself. When I grow, my business grows. When I don't grow, my business doesn't grow. So it's interesting how that works because the energy that I'm putting off into the world or through my content, I'm either attracting people to me or or they're not, you know? Yeah, I 100% agree. And typically, definitely not always, and I think it's getting better in sort of the corporate world, that like mindset, mindfulness, mental health is not a priority. And Mm -hmm. if we're not teaching our employees or the people that we work with, or even if you're just a manager of a team in a business and you're not fostering that, that care and that mindfulness, it can easily be lost and we don't think about it. And so it's really up to us in a sense and switching gears just a little bit, that brings me to the idea of like the stigma around mental illness and, or mental Mm -hmm. health, I should say, and why that is possibly, let's say like a taboo subject in the world of business. Oh yeah. Gosh. I was like not open about my mental illness back in the days when I was working for Pfizer. I was like, it was so weird to, you know, go on disability for three months and 
come back and obviously they can't, you know, pry like what happened or anything like that. You have like the, you know, the ADA act, but you know, you just that feeling of like, why was she gone for three months? She didn't have surgery, you know, what was going on? So it was very hush hush when I was in corporate. I didn't want anybody to know what had happened, but I think the stigma really just I mean, it's different for different people, but I, I think most of it just stems people don't truly understand like what depression is or what bipolar is or anxiety or all of the things, unless somebody has experienced it, it's really hard to even just, let me just read an article about depression. Like it's still, people sometimes think, oh, you know, it's like the homeless guy on the street, that guy is the one that has depression, but people don't understand that it's very common, like one in four families are afflicted by a mental health disorder, you know, they've seen things in the movies, and they have their own preconceived notion of what it is. Obviously, it's not something that's talked about, you know, my part of my mission is to help make mental health conversations normal. I mean, we talk all the time at the dinner table about how is my blood sugar or my cholesterol levels, but nobody's like, so is your depression getting any better? Like it's just not normal conversation yet. So that's kind of like part of my mission is that I'm putting it all out there. Like here it is. Like I've been in the psych hospital for 72 days, but like I'm quote unquote a normal person. Like I have a family, I have a kid, I have a job, you know? And that's kind of why I just put it out there because it's almost like this dichotomy. Like, oh, because people don't think that if you have a mental health condition, you can't be successful in your life, but I'm here to challenge those thoughts. Yeah, for sure. And that made me think, because I totally agree with you. It it does have to be something that we are more comfortable talking about and something that if you are in a workplace, being comfortable with the people around you, like they're not going to judge you for something and, and making that more common practice. But it also makes me think, about social media, especially with like this ripe young generation of Gen Z. But I don't know if you have a TikTok if you're on there or anything, but when I scroll through TikTok- I'm not, but I, I see a few of them. My stepdaughters are on there. Okay, yeah. So you're a little bit familiar. I, there are, and this is a generalization, of course, but for a lot of young, impressionable, like preteens, teens, I noticed that the more that we talk about it, which is a good thing, it can almost have sometimes a negative effect on others if we're not careful about how we talk about it. Mm. So how do we make sure that we're talking about mental health in a way that's preventing a lot of self-diagnosis and making sure that Mm. yes, if you have mental health, you know, go seek help, be okay to go to your parents or somebody that you trust to talk about it. But at the same time, it also doesn't necessarily excuse you from unacceptable behavior, whether that's outbursts of anger or whatever that may be. So how do we make sure that we're talking about it in a sensitive way that people feel comfortable, but it doesn't cross a line? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I see what you're saying from the younger generation. Yeah, I mean, what you just kind of said is like, you know, somebody that they can relate to, whether it's a family member or a friend, you know, somebody that they can confide in and I think just really listening and not really giving too much information, like not getting in their head so much where you're giving them more information than that they can process. But just if they're open to, you know, sharing, I think it's really important to listen and then to 
figure out the best plan if it's something like they do need medical help is to, you know, help get that established. But sometimes like, um, I know what you mean. Like there's like too much information out there that it's almost does the opposite. Right. Yeah. There's so much information out there that sometimes for, for somebody who's particularly impressionable or at a stage in their life where they're going through a lot and something that they hear or read or see with somebody who might be going through something similar saying like, Hey, I have this, or, you know, you should try this. It's like a fine line of, okay, yes, this can help some people, but it goes back to what we were talking about in the beginning of not every pill or therapy or holistic solution or whatever it may be might be the right solution for them. And so taking it into their own hands, but also having support. Yeah. I mean, definitely somebody who's new and is having symptoms, I would, I would always say, you know, going to a professional is best because, you know, even if we have experience and stuff, you, with somebody that's newly diagnosed or has new symptoms, it's, I think it's best to get them to a professional and then you can always offer support. You know, I always tell people that come to me, you know, I'm not a doctor or a therapist or whatever. I, these are something that I have solutions, but I always direct them towards, you know, getting actual professional help if they haven't already. Yeah. It's like, again, relating it to, you know, like fitness or whatever. If you've got a bunch of knee problems, back pain, like maybe going to uh, an Orange Theory high intensity class. You got some guests? <laughs> Jacob, come on. Can you please go out? Okay. Can you close my door? <laughs> oh. Yes, exactly. <laughs> That's too funny. Um, but yeah, like, uh, going to a personal trainer or like an orange theory class or whatever, might not be the best decision. If you just got out of surgery six months ago and you're just jumping into a whole class, it's like, whoa, 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 go see your doctor first, make sure you're cleared. And he said, yes, you like jump squats and, and muscle ups or something before <laughs> you go tear your rotator cuff again. I think it's, you know, it's easier to think about it like that in terms of our physical body, because we can see it and we can, you know, it's a little bit easier to measure as far as you can take an x-ray and say, Hey, your muscles torn, but it's a lot yes. harder to see when it's in your brain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so true. And it's, you know, symptoms, you know, could be actual mental health symptoms or just like someone could be just really stressed and have anxiety. So yeah, it's, it can be various for different people. Definitely. Gosh, well, I could talk about this subject, uh, I think, forever with you because you're a joy to talk to. And this is something I'm really interested and passionate about. And clearly you are too. Um, But before we sort of part ways, what is, and not to put you on a spot or anything, but what is one thing that somebody can do today in general to decrease their daily stress make sure that they're going to prevent overwhelm, treat their gut right, treat their brain right and their body right. Sort of an overall wellness tip. To achieve all of that. That's a tall well, order. I, <laughs> <laughs> to an extent, right? Something that's maybe daily is practice, practice. Yeah, for sure. Well, I mean, I think it, uh, something that just really helps me and I, it, you know, and it can help really anybody is what is one thing that you really, really love to do, whether it's a hobby or a pastime and do that 30 minutes every day. Because I think that whether you have a mental health condition or you're just stressed or whatnot, if you can do something every day that brings you joy, then do that. (laughs) 
I love that. I absolutely love that. And that is so crucial and important and something so simple. Like a lot of times I think people immediately go to mindfulness or trying to go exercise and like, yes, those are great things, but what actually brings you joy? Like if you find that boring, it's not going to bring you joy. And so (laughs) bringing sort of that inner child back out, incorporating a little bit of play for whatever play means to you can definitely aid in all of those things. So I think yes, 100%. Well, where can people find you? Oh, yeah, sure. Um, I'm always on LinkedIn. That's my where I spend most of my time. So it's just Krista Samimi, K-R-I-S-T-A-S-A-M-I-M-I. Or you can email me at Krista at KristaSamimi.com. Awesome. Thank you so much, Krista. I truly appreciate it. And it has been an awesome time. Yes. Likewise, Haley, I really appreciate you uh, bringing me on your podcast. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Letting It All Hang Out. I sincerely hope that you enjoyed it and learned a thing or two. I definitely know that I did. And I'd love to hear your thoughts and start a conversation with you. So feel free to send me a voice message right here on Anchor, or you can message me on any of my social media platforms at Haley Kalani. Much love to you all. Until next time, stay well.